Hey, we have Mr. Mike Swain here today. Thanks for coming over. It's nice to see you, Mike. So before we start, I just want to tell you about this story I read. <laughs> you see, once in a while, I, I lose my wallet. Sorry. And there's this guy who lost his wallet, and of all places, they found it in oh God. the Antarctica. Cool. <laughs> so I guess down in Antarctica... There is some kind of a science or a Navy base uh, where they were doing stuff around World War II. Uh, So some folks were down there recently and moving some furniture around and they found this wallet behind some cabinets and they opened it up. And they did not take the money. <laughs> I don't know if it was even any good. And anyways, they tracked down this old Navy guy who's still alive. Uh, last name. The last name is uh, uh, Grissom. And mailed back his wallet. Now, I've lost my wallet lots of times. And believe it or not, almost every single time I've gotten back via U.S. post office. I don't know if you knew this. If you throw a wallet with a driver's license in it, in the post office mailbox, they will make sure it gets back to the hmm. to the owner. Anyways, the the most interesting part of this story, you might think, is what? The return of the wallet. No, it is what was in the wallet that was fascinating to me. I bet you can't guess what it is. No. It is a recipe on how to make Kahlua. <laughs> Why don't you introduce Mike to us? Well, first, I want to say good morning, James. Good morning, Christopher. And good morning, Mike. <laughs> good morning, Christopher. How are you today? Good. Thank you for asking. So Mike is with us today, and uh, I'm pretty excited because we've never recorded with Mike, but yet we've had coffee with Mike many, many, many times. And so uh, that's kind uh, of a, a documentary thing. of our coffee class. <laughs> <laughs> Just a recording of our tedious conversations. Right. But Mike, I hope you see what I have to put up with now. Well, I do. Uh, well... Uh, I was aware of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. You know, you probably think you've known him longer than I have. Mike Swain, you're, you're from Phoenix, right? You were born oh, yeah. and raised your whole life. Well, I was telling uh, James earlier that my son refers to me as uh, having been uh, born in the last half of the first, cent- or the first half of the last century, <laughs> 1949. Oh, by a squeaker. Phoenix was 100,000 people today. Was that's hard to imagine. Really? Yep. Okay. Gonna, now, were you were you raised like that. down what is considered downtown now, or were you considered like in the orange where where everything was orange fields or citrus and no, sun kissed well, okay. ruled Phoenix? My first house that I lived in, we moved there from when I, when I was three, and it was Seventh uh, Street and Roma, on the east side of the on the west side of the street street, and uh, where the bunkhouse bar is right now. There was a house in the back of that that property, and we lived there. Now on the other wait, side, wait, you're saying you a bunkhouse? Well, it's it's a bar. Oh oh yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, on the on the west side of the property, there was a fence, and on the other side of the fence was a cow uh, cow, cow farm, cow pasture. Yeah, cow pasture. <clears throat> now, dairy. I'm guessing. Probably yeah. Yeah, I would guess it was dairy. Now, like I say, I was three years old, and this is my this is my first remembrance. I would climb that fence, drop down on the other side, to a patch of burr clover. So burr stickers were on the other side. <laughs> you and, city boys, and I would immediately start crying. 
Um, and my mom would come out, lift me back over the fence, <laughs> and bring me back in the house, obviously. But, uh, yeah, this was... And then the second house I lived in was uh, further up on Roma, or further east on Roma, at about 3rd Street. The first one was 7th Avenue, then we moved to 3rd Street. It was essentially just down the street. And I lived in a house with a basement. Now, Phoenix is not very famous for having basements. It, it, you mean it is famous for not having oh, basements? Oh, okay. It's famous for not having <laughs> <laughs> Because of a thing called, I think it's called Caliche? Caliche? Yeah. yeah. So What's those, that? Oh, for those that don't know what Caliche is, <laughs> that's James. Um, it's, it's like basically, a, basically cement. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like a lime mineral. So it's actually white. And I mean, if you step on it or look at it close, it looks like concrete. Huh. And it's basically uh, the hardest thing you can find around here. And it's everywhere in big clumps. Hmm. So um, when someone tries to build a basement, it's like... Blasting. Yeah. And and 80% chance that you're going to get it. It's not like 50-50. You know, it's a good chance you're going to have it. So um, you're talking about blasting or you're talking about a lot of time with something just chipping away for days and days and days. That's why you have kids, right? Yes. Yes. I, I know that's why I had three. There you go. Have, have they broken through it yet? Mm. What's well, interesting you said that. So I do use my kids to do backyard work. I think kids don't do oh, yeah. backyard work anymore. And, I've, and well. I I feel guilty sometimes because I'm oh, like, no. right, can you help me in the backyard? And my, my kids always are good about it. And they always say yes. And they're always very nice about it. But, I'm, but I know they're thinking, why do I have to do this? Well, none of my friends have to do this kind really? of stuff. Do, do you have your kids? Well, a little your bit. son mow the lawn? You don't have a lawn. We don't have a yard. <laughs> a lawn. Do you have them digging holes in the backyard? And we don't dig holes in the backyard? Well, have you ever planted a tree? Uh, No. Well, we had we planted trees when we well, got here. Okay, so Otherwise, has your son ever done any serious I, no, sweating? No, we, we've done some yard work, but it, you know, it's not really that pleasant to talk about. Well, you so have gravel, in, right? Yeah. Mike, in Phoenix, well, we, we have gravel everywhere. Well, we do you also pick have a, weeds together? We have a dog. He does weeding sometimes, but we also have a dog. So sometimes he does, you know, dog patrol. Yeah. See, I grew up in Phoenix too. And so we do what we used to do as a kid. It was our annual spring event where we had to dedicate Saturday and Sunday to sitting in the front yard and picking all the weeds in late season and late. Yeah. In late spring. And then we didn't have to do it again for another year. But if we didn't do it in late spring and we skipped it, you know, and it's seeded, then we had to do it twice a year. So we yeah. made sure we did it. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Well, then when I was when I was five, we moved to Eleventh Street in Glendale, and that was up in the 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 uh, grapefruit and orange orchards. Oh, that's nice. It was a uh, brand relatively new development up there, and uh, it was irrigated, so we didn't have to deal with weeds or anything. Like but you that. had to mow lawn. Oh yeah, you had to mow lawn. Yeah, and we, if you live near irrigation, right, you're yeah. mowing lawns. Yeah. Now this, this particular lot was a corner lot. So it had extra land and it had an upper level and a lower level where the, the grade of the, uh, of the lot changed as it went downhill in from home to home. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. the irrigation could work could its way down. Work its yeah. way down. So I was in charge of the upper level and my brother was in charge of the lower level. Does that mean you have to get up like three o'clock in the morning? Um, Early on, we didn't we didn't do the irrigation, but as we got into our teens, yes, we got up at three in the morning. Do you know what that means, James? No, what does that mean? Okay, so if you have irrigation, there's a guy who comes around and they have like these cement 
cylinders at the at every so often on corners. And then there's you're in charge of releasing a, like a gate. Mm-hmm. And that lets the water in. Right. And neighbors usually take turns doing it or they make a okay. science for one month at a time. But here's the crazy thing. If you forget to undo yours and your neighbor did do his, that means you're getting the water for all of the houses mm-hmm. and you could get flooded out. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, my, my brother-in-law does that. Now, we were, we were at the high point. So we left our gates open. Year-round. Well... Not year round, but I mean, when, when it was time for irrigation, you didn't have to worry about it. You were at the top. Because anytime somebody else down the line didn't take water, well, it would back up and we'd get an an extra irrigation. Did you used to get crawdads? We used to get crawdads. Oh yeah. Crawdads and fish. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is when I was living in Houston, we were looking, we were looking at a um, house up in spring, which is just outside of Houston. And we were looking at a lot of houses and there were these mounds in the back. In a lot of these houses, and eventually I asked the realtor, "What are all these little mud mounds? They're like little pyramids." He said, "Oh, those are crawdads. You can go out and catch them and then cook them." <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait a second. You, so you're telling me I have aquatic animals living in my backyard, and you think this is a good house to look at? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it was nice to learn. You know, this is you know, if you see a crawdad mound, move on to the next house. Mike, were you a kid? Did you used to uh, go to the irrigation and fish them out? I used to fish them out. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that was, but, but the thing is it dries up eventually and those crawdads. Oh yeah. But this, this is Phoenix. That's, that's fine in Phoenix. No, they but bury in, themselves in, in Houston. It, it doesn't dry out. Oh, oh okay. It is wet. Well, it's we swamp. used to collect them and half of them, I used to collect them with my cousin and half of them went to fishing. So he saved them for fishing and my half went to lunch. Did you fish with the mic or did you eat them? Or neither. I never really ate them. It wasn't until we got into scouts that we started eating them. Mm-hmm. So I knew I knew about crawdads Mud from bugs. living in Texas. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I was really surprised to find that they're up in New York too. I was uh, I was out on a hike one time oh, in the well, backwoods. Well, they're not supposed to be in Arizona. They're considered an invasive species. Well, then, then they've you, invaded. Then you better eat them. I think it's, I, and I don't know if this is right or not, but I believe if you take a crawdad out and then throw it back in, and somebody sees you. They can charge you five hundred dollar fine. Is that a federal offense? I think it's state. No, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yes. Anyway, so uh, so you got to live in the citrus area. That's kind of cool. Did you have citrus in the backyard? We had twenty one orange trees. Oh my god! And grapefruit trees. Half of them were well, Valencia oranges, and then grapefruit. Those are left over from like the old Sunkist, right. right? When they they own this town, right? That's pretty cool. And I. The research I've done is they were planted in the 1890s. Yeah, so I got an aunt. She, hers were planted. She told me around 1910. Yeah, she, she still has them in her house. They're huge. You got crawdaddies and ants. <laughs> There's still a few left in our neighborhood. Um, some across the street from us. Um, the, They're sickly looking now, though. The, yeah, and the grapefruit. Well, there's a lady across the street in the, her backyard. Her dad just babied these trees and they're fully grown and they're just fantastic. The f- The grapefruit flavor is not the greatest. It's bitter, bitter than it could yeah. be. And I know this because my aunt has them and yeah. she's been babying hers for, I think, 40 years. Yeah. And they're monstrous. Some of them are kind of sickly just because they're so old, but some of them are, be- and they packed with grapefruit almost every single year. Yeah, yeah you, but you're right. They're a little bitter than than you throw out ammonia sulfate um, in the, when the in the spring when the first irrigations after winter. 
I think that's what she does, or yeah. I should say, my uncle does that. You don't pour, you don't put it down without irrigation because it'll burn everything. Ammonia sulfate will. If you broadcast it thinly, <laughs> well, okay. you uh, you Phoenicians are weird in your irrigation systems. Well, it's like a whole different lay, way of life. I don't have irrigation where I live now, but I grew up with irrigation because I had horses yeah. and goats and yeah. everything else in my backyard. Well, you it's need- great fun during the summer because you. It's yeah. like a pool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had pool. horses. We used to run the horses through. My dad used to get mad because it would mess up the backyard with big holes and stuff. I, I don't, you're right. It was like a big pool. Yeah. <laughs> a big, stinky pool. <laughs> yeah, that, what could be better than that? It wasn't until I was 14 or 15 that we had a uh, subscription to a pool down the street. I mean, down the, let's uh, see it, Bethany and 16th Street. There was uh, a pool there that we uh, that we had membership in. <laughs> well... I never did this, I promise. And I'm almost nervous to say it out loud, but I don't think we have very many young people listening. My dad used to water ski those canals, those irrigation yeah. canals. Yeah. So you'd get your truck along that dirt road yeah. and you get your skis in there and the truck would pull you down the canal and you had to tilt really far to the left or the right so you didn't right. run into the cement and then you had to jump off. Well, and you had trees you in hit, the way too back you then. You had what? You had trees in the way back then back then too oh really yeah oh i don't remember that yeah i just i was just <laughs> looking this up a few weeks ago and i was disappointed to find out that you can't do that anymore you can't it's against the, the law oh yeah it's you can't even it. you can't even kayak in the in the canals no. oh no 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 they well like well years ago they haven't had any problems quite a while since they've done all the fencing every now and then a dead body would show up in the canal every so many years remember that well i would hope usually so. kids well, what else are they for oh that's <laughs> that's sad well, then kayaking in the canals is not a really smart thing to do. Because I wouldn't think so, but I was just curious. The bridges are so low. It's so low. Yeah. Especially in, you know, this time of year. And, they're, the, and now they got grills on them. Big grills. You yeah. can't, couldn't get through them if you wanted to. Well, you can get out and walk around. Well, okay. But, okay. Anyways, those waters, <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, those waters look like they grow slow. But if you put a stick in them, you can feel the, the undercurrent oh, yeah. really okay. cruising You can only kayak it. for a half mile yeah. before you have to get out. I don't know if that's true. I, I ride on those canals a lot. and I don't know. You guys know it better than I do. You well, know, the, you know, LA has them too, you know, and I, yeah. and, and they're long. They are long. Are, they, are those yeah. the drainage ditches or are they canals? Well, it's called, well, it's called, called the LA rivers, river, LA river. Right. right. But are they dry or are they, or are no, they, they're, they're got water in them. Huh. Not all year round, but, but mostly. Well, okay. They got a, a cement trough in the middle of yes, the Yes. And that's your round. That's the water. But then once in a while they kind of fill up. Oh, okay. Well, you know, L.A., you don't think of this, but all along those canals in L.A., they actually have ranches, like small little horse ranches. They don't have that here. I always wondered, here's another thing I always wondered about these canals, and maybe you guys can answer this. Why don't they have water mills in those canals? I mean, look at all the electricity. They're constantly flowing. Why couldn't they just get some slow-moving? There is one. There is. Where? It's called the Arizona Falls. Where's that? Fifty Sixth Street. Oh, and, is that is that uh, hydro Indian school? Yeah, I, I, have you have you not been there? No. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was a hydro production. Yeah, it's a hydro production. Uh, it's built into the mechanism of some sort. Uh, my coffee's getting cold, James. <laughs> well, we can uh, go fill it up in the in the canal. <laughs> I'm gonna get a warmer. I mean, I'm I usually get make war- it. I usually make it with canal water. <laughs> I want to get a warmer upper, and then when I get back, I want to hear all about the trolley museum. Yeah. Okay. Or design. Or design. Or design. You've been in your house so long, you don't even remember what the sun looked like. But you ain't ready to leave those four walls. 
but you're sure tired of looking at that dim floor. It's ugly. ugly. And you want something a little more interesting. Well, you should check out Go Rages when you want an outrageous floor. We got all kinds of fun patterns like, like flying monkeys and some of my favorite paisleys and bubblegum balls. We got pizza floor, pepperoni if you like it. If you're still learning how to read, we got alphabet floor and that ain't spilled soup. We got covered wagons with horses. We got grapefruit and green grass, fire trucks and fireflies. We got chicken for your kitchen. Heck, we got a floor to look like you're floating in outer space staring at a big old Saturn and even possibly Uranus. Keep your mind clean and come on down and go rages for some go outrageous flooring. Woo-hoo! That's G-O-R-A-G-E-O-U-S dot com. See you soon. It's like a rocket. It's Super Bowl. It just keeps bouncing and bouncing and bouncing almost like forever. It's like it's alive. Hurry, try to catch it. Super Ball is a mystery ball. It's like a ball of a thousand bounces. You have no ball at all like Super Ball. It is a Super Ball. It zigs, it zags. It goes high, it goes low. It's Super Ball. It's the most amazing ball ever created. The energized Super Ball is in your hand. It has an amazing bounce that can actually go over your house. If you were to watch it in slow motion, it would be strange, weird, a real fun game. It's like magic. It just keeps bouncing. It's still bouncing. Hurry, discover your superpower with a super ball at a store near you. I got my super ball. By Whammo. So were there trolleys in Phoenix? Well, Mike says there was, but I've never seen one. <laughs> no, the trolley system disappeared in 1948. Oh, you weren't or, even born me, yet. 1947, excuse me. There was a barn fire, a suspicious barn fire, they, they uh, say. Um, oh, there's a whole controversy at the time about GM and Goodyear, and, or Firestone and... Ford? Another company... Uh, that's the same thing that happened in L.A. too. Well, it's basically the, the the deal with Roger Rabbit. I mean, the whole premise of Roger Rabbit was the, the trolley systems being... I don't remember that. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. Anyway, um, yeah, all over the United States, these, this was happening. As a matter of fact, they were taken to court and they were convicted. Oh, they were? Yeah. In Phoenix or federally? Federally. Oh, I had no idea. I Because I used to live near this really cool running track area and it used to be train tracks yeah. and, and uh, I'm kind of glad the trains are there because it's kind of cool it's right along pretty close to the beach tracks are still there? pardon? tracks are still uh, there? when I first moved to California oh it's, it was no there no one cares about California we're in Phoenix now let's talk but about Phoenix I've never even seen tracks in Phoenix with the exception of over there I think it's 16th Avenue there is like where it used to be a train lane which is now just an empty lot and just recently they started mm-hmm. Beautifying it. Is it 16th Street? No, no trolleys on 16th Street. So where do the, do you know where the trolleys used yeah, to run? The yeah. trolley started 1873 or 1880. No, 1887. Excuse me. Wow. That was a, long time. Um, <laughs> a guy named. Everything was black and white back then, you know. No, it was. <laughs> Everything was black and white. 
Even the, there wasn't any green trees or anything. <laughs> sepia tone. Chlorophyll hadn't even been invented. Because everything was sepia tone. I know this because because I've seen the photograph. Well, on, on a separate note, actually, I think the original color photos were in the late 1800s. It, now, this was uh, a Russian, I think it was, who was doing, uh, it was very difficult because he had to take three different exposures at the same shot. Yeah. But there was color photographs in the in the 19th century. So it wasn't until the Russians did Arizona, you know, have some color. I don't know that they made it out to Arizona, but I'm just saying, um, you know, early color was a thing, but it didn't obviously didn't take hold. It must have been a weird experience. Now there must have been color because Maxwell Parrish, who was a famous illustrator in the uh, early uh, part of the 19th century or 20th century, I'm sorry, um, he did some fabulous paintings of, of Arizona. Um, I think we can find color. Paintings were in color going back further then too? back than the 1800s. <laughs> no, painting, paintings were in color. I think some of the Egyptian paintings may have been in color. Oh my God! I have to tell you an Egyptian story sometime. Okay, sometimes a good. Yeah, that was not a good time. Uh, so anyway, we were talking about this trolley thing. <laughs> yes, we were. And uh, they originally started out as mule driven, but then in 1893. They converted to electricity. Why was that? Is that because electricity was first time coming or was it um, always here? Well, or? you know, the whole idea of trolleys was to get away from the excrement that was deposited by horses. Oh, believe me, I know. I used to have horses. I, people used to say, you know, cars cause so much pollution. I always thought, uh, you should live with some horses. I've never <laughs> I've never seen a trolley driven, I mean, uh, a mule driven uh, trolley. That sounds kind of interesting. I think I'm gonna have to look that up. I uh, wouldn't, but I, I, I just would worry that the donkeys would get stuck in the tracks. Oh no, no. The the tracks. I mean, the the tracks were had ties, but it was covered over with dirt. With uh, so dirt. They, yeah, they, so it was they were somewhat still dirt roads back then. Okay. Yeah, and like I say, this is eighteen. What did I say? Eighteen ninety three was when it switched to electricity. Right? Eighteen eighty seven was tar was hadn't the, been discovered yet. <laughs> well, I, I, I had to, I, you, you said 1887 twice now, so I just have to inject, interject this. I'm pretty sure that was the year that the safety bicycle was invented. You know, before that, they just had the big wheelers, which or, the ordinary. Uh, no, that safety was a little bit earlier than that. No, I think it's 18. I'll double Do check, you? but I think it was Starley who invented it in 1987. Okay. It took well, the thing. He's is, got money. The thing is, it's, it was remarkable how quickly that design took off. I mean, oh, yeah. like within a couple of years, <laughs> the Boy Scouts in uh, England were riding them for World War One. Really? Yeah. And they had they had a special uh, BSA. It was actually uh, Brinton Small Arms Manufacturer, I think, or whatever it was. That was the bicycle. They made a special smaller version for Scouts and with a with a rifle holster in it. Oh no no no! Have we talked about this before? Because I've seen it. Yes. Oh okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're talking about trolleys. <laughs> the original. No, wait, wait, really quick. If if James is wrong, somebody owes somebody money. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. So we're playing that game. Huh? No, no. Well, we'll say this. If James is wrong, Christopher owes James a hundred bucks. <laughs> so anyway, we were talking. Oh, Trolleys. the original line went from um, about, I would say, 7th Street to the Capitol. No, no. To 7th Avenue. 7th Street to mm. 7th, 7th Avenue. Uh, what across what, what cross street would that have been? It would have been along Washington. Oh, Washington. Okay. Um, oh, it headed to the Capitol. Well, eventually, oh. what it, what it did then is it, it jogged up Seventh uh, Street to uh, Grand Avenue, and then went up Grand Avenue to the uh, State Fairgrounds, and then they then they had a branch that went out to uh, to the State Capitol. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. So, I had read many 
years ago that part of the um, municipal laws that are in place, you cannot block any road, trail, or passage that does not allow horses into the Capitol. Have you ever heard this before? Mm, it's new to me. So I'm wondering if some of the trolley routes were along those passages. Well, basically the trolley took where the where the traffic was. I mean, where, and then essentially the the uh, developer, the builder of the trolley system was a developer, oh, and yeah. his objective was to get people into downtown from his property. Of course. I didn't know that's where it was going. You know, Mike, with all this talk about trolleys, I really kind of want to see them now. Is there anywhere I can go to see them? <laughs> um, well, that's a technical question. <laughs> because we the trolley uh, museum originally was at, at uh, Culver and Central Avenue, across from the uh, library, part of Hans Park. Um, but then just recently, well, about three years ago, Hans Park is being redeveloped. And they have they were wanting space for a, uh, a skate park, and so the trolley museum was asked to leave. Oh, hmm. that's a little bit unfortunate. I actually kind of know some people involved in that. <laughs> I have mixed emotions about that one. Well, I do too. I mean, <laughs> well, they kid, already had the skate park, didn't they? By the uh, by the library, or maybe that was just some. Maybe it wasn't a skate. I guess that's not no, technically a skate park. I don't. Well, it not, would have been cool if they could do some kind of combination skateboard. With a trolley that goes yeah, up with a trolley, like the kids jump over the top of a trolley. Well, I, I, I'm just. I don't think <laughs> the city is that far thinking. <laughs> anyway, so we were asked to move, and so we we found a location on Grand Avenue, which is fine, which is great because it, it was along the original line. Yeah, of, I was thinking that too. It's just basically what you said: it's along yeah. the original line. That's kind of cool. And um, so we're we've got a, a museum started there. It's, it's built in a hundred year old house. Really? Does it have a basement? No. Oh. <laughs> um, first two rooms of, of this house uh, are the, the a very small museum. Um, that kind of, well, it's, it's a respectable design and whatnot. Um, museum pros helped us with, uh, with the uh, build out of that. However, the trolleys themselves had to be moved to uh, Porter Barnwood's um, warehouse. So he's he's storing them for us to keep it out, keeping them out of the uh, out of the elements. And all these trolleys look. I mean, they kind of have the same old design. Or I mean, I, would, I, I I'm sorry, but rice aroni trolley is the only San Francisco mm. treat. Is the only trolley that comes to mind when I think of trolleys. Well, no, there were various designs along the line. I mean, the the mule drawn trolleys were very small. They probably had oh maybe eight or ten. Uh, benches that that uh, people would, and then people would hang off the the railings on the on the I've side. I've actually been on. I don't know if it was mules. Could have been. I've actually been on a trolley pulled by animals. Well, you've horses. been if you've been to to uh, Disneyland, you've been on a uh, oh, horse trolley. Oh, it is. That's where it's been. I can try to remember where it was. I was like, it doesn't remember. Yeah, you're right. It was yeah. Disneyland. They don't have it at Disneyland anymore, though, do they? They well, used to do the thing at Main Street. Remember, you'd go on the trolley around okay. Main Street <laughs> and you'd head your way up to the Fantasy. What's that castle? <laughs> well, I think they're probably pulled by humans now in, in horse costumes because it's probably cheaper to pay the humans. You're probably not too far off. Well, it'll soon go to I don't Canada. think Disneyland has those trolleys anymore. They have them. It's just during the COVID period, it's 
They're, uh, they're not running. That's well, I haven't been in Disneyland in a few years anyways. So I have two questions for you, Mike. Uh, how many trolleys does the trolley museum have? And do they have any of the donkey ones? No, we do not have any of the donkey ones. We have two trolleys uh, that uh, the founder of the museum, as the trolleys became too old to, f- to function, people would buy them and turn them into um, diners. basically diners or, or uh, uh, homes. I mean, like trader courts. Really? Yeah. People would live in them? Right. And he found two of them. Um, at a trailer park? At a trailer park down on... <laughs> Down on, uh, let's see, it would be about you gotta 30 years. You, so someone right now could be living in a trolley in Phoenix somewhere. Well, no, they're all gone. Those those are gone. Okay. But they did exist up until, up until well, it would have been the 70s. Oh, okay. So at least, but even still the 70s, I couldn't even well, picture. No, it's funny though, because all the millennials and running around with their tiny houses thinking that they're the coolest people ever because they're making these tiny houses. No, this has been going on for a long time now. So anyway, we have one that is basically fully restored. Um, it's, it had a, uh, has a little motor problem right now that that has to be restored. We have another one that's uh, in, in uh, pieces that is able to be restored. Recently, through a campaign we were doing to, uh, to um, uh, purchase the property we're on, a party out in Mesa um, wanted to get rid of their trolley because it was in, in, on their lot and it was getting in the way. And so they donated it to us. So we have a third trolley. That's pretty cool. And through the same publicity, uh, a person who, uh, who was looking, well, when Banquet Ballpark was built, they were looking for the gravel to to build the, the field. And it had to be very specific gravel. And he explored the, the river bottom. And, and down in Buckeye, um, at the end of Miller Road there, he, there was a quarry that he found the right, the correct uh, gravel. Uh-oh. And so as he they were quarrying this gravel, they saw a trolley out in the riverbed, down, out in Gila River. <laughs> you gotta be Now this is 20 years ago. Just rusting away. Just rusting away. And he <laughs> swears it's still out there. Oh. oh, it is still, oh, I'm sure it is. So we have people looking for it. Oh, really? Okay, so. That's kind of a mystery, that's kind of cool. I'm a big hiker and I come across all the time like old um, gears from when there used to be mining. Like, sure. I'll, I'm not kidding. I'll be like hiking. It'll be just nothing. No, there, and then all of a sudden you'll see like this big rusty, like looks like it used to be some kind of a canal. And then you'll come a little closer and then you start seeing the rusty gears. And, and you're thinking, I mean, it's got to be three or four cars of sure. steel just laying around. Yeah. I, I believe it. It's probably well over a hundred years old. What could have happened is that whoever found it goes, "Hey, there's a trolley out there. You should go get it and scrap it." Well, the thing is, I mean, you got to you got to find it. You got to dig it up. You get. I mean, there's. It's not just. Oh, you think matter. it could be even buried again? Oh, yeah. Well, it's probably yeah. partially buried. I mean, we've had several floods since the uh, since Banquet Ballpark. Oh yeah. So, so it could be could be halfway under again. Yeah. So, so is the Trolley Museum open now? Or I guess. Well, during COVID, no. No. When do you plan on opening again? Uh, There's talk about doing it in March or April. No, April. April. Earliest it would be April. And then we close again for the summer. So the next uh, opportunity would be uh, October. So you're you're not doing too much with that right now then? Oh, we're we're, we're doing fundraising. We're doing... uh, Oh, I see, I see, I see. We're doing... I mean, we're still very active. Active. And you have a website? 
We do have a website. It's uh, PX, phxtrolley.org. Cool. And uh, well, I want the reason I was kind of asking about the design is because, I mean, you're you design a lot. I mean, you're an artist. So you I'm an illustrator, some, graphic designer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're mostly doing these days? Mostly. Yeah, mostly. Well, I've I was involved with the uh, the Rawson House. Um, it's a, uh, a historic uh, house downtown that they've turned into a museum back in the 70s. I don't want to say it looks like a, uh, a gingerbread house, yeah. but if it was painted the right colors, it could look like a gingerbread house. What street house. is oh, it it's on? A I think I've seen house. that. No, uh, Fifth a, Street and uh, yeah, Monroe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. right right near the Children's Museum. It's quite noticeable. <laughs> oh, the children's they used museum. to be on the board of directors there, and then... Uh, I learned how to how to give tours and had well, that's like museum land, right? You have the science yeah. museum. Well, science there, area, yeah. And science you have museum what else is there? Oh, oh the museum. There's, there's museum several museum. restaurants there. Oh, and those restaurants are awesome. They're they're all like, I don't know what that street used to be, but they're all like residential houses that have been converted to restaurants mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, and it was really. Have you ever eaten down there, James? No, I don't eat out. Okay, I don't know if it's still there. It must be. Pizzeria Bianca. That's where I was going. Oh, like, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. I don't know if I've eaten there. Now, I've heard, I don't know why people would do this for pizza. I'm not a big pizza guy. I, I like pizza. But anyways, people fly into Phoenix, you know, people that, oh, what do you want to do? Hey, let's go get pizza at. Well, Oprah, Oprah said it was in the finest pizza in the United really? States. Wow. Yeah, so people will That's fly weird. into Phoenix for this one joint. I've had it. It's pretty good pizza, but I would not fly. Into, <laughs> I would not fly into town for it. You no, wouldn't take your own jet? Come on. <laughs> no, it's excellent pizza. Now, there used to be a long line for dinner. Oh, my gosh. And that's another problem. It's always got a little... Right. Well, they open for lunch, so now the now the, the line's basically gone. We know Costco has pizza, too. <laughs> not not, not nearly. the same. No, no. Now, okay, so just really quick. Tells us he's Italian. No, no. Well, I, I have ha- Italian heritage. I'm not one of those people who goes around thinking that I'm Italian because I have, you know, a grandfather who's born in Italy. Okay. So, do you, James, do you eat a lot of pizza? Do you figure, do you in your life no. say, okay, this is a good pizza. Oh. This is Costco junk pizza. Oh, right. excuse me, but Costco pizza is actually not junk. Oh, it's good. I've never had it, but my understanding <laughs> is that it, no, well, here's the thing. Well, you know, I don't go in to, to Costco to buy, you know, they serve it. It's their lunch food, whatever. I don't, you know, partake that way. But it looks like New York style pizza. It looks like genuinely New York style pizza, which is not what oh, you usually get. Oh, no, I get. think it's more like a Chicago. It's kind of. No, 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 no. I I've would say neither. All, it's neither. No, you no, 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 no. Chicago, you go to Loom all 90s. Who, yeah. who in their right mind would want Chicago pizza? People who like pizza. No, 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 no. That's, that's not pizza. Okay, so that's I a, like pizza that's not like pizza. And okay. like when someone says this is a pizza and it doesn't look like a pizza and then I taste like, oh, this is good because it's not pizza. <laughs> well, Lou Monali's <laughs> is more like pizza cake. Yeah, I mean, see, that's deep, that's deep the problem. Dish. That's not pizza. Well, there's well, a bit, well, in a way, like, we're not going to get into the war. Yeah, let's not get into the pizza war. Okay, pizza. so I don't even like pizza, but I've been to Italy many times, <laughs> and I have yet to see a pizza in the United States, and I've been all over this darn country. I have never seen a pizza like I've seen in Italy. I have seen pizzas like that, and they're a lot more closer to New York-style pizza okay. than anything else. With the they're exception not quite of my own size, house. <laughs> pizza in Italy has an aftertaste that lingers with you. It's called, it's called the cheese. Because <laughs> no, their cheese doesn't well, have all the, their cheese has all kinds of microorganisms in it that our cheese is not permitted to have. Oh well, I mean, I shouldn't even say this. 
every time, not, not that I go to Europe that often, every time I go to Europe, I try to smuggle a little cheese bag with me. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. I know. It's, it's just a small amount, you know, just like, you know, maybe a, they, they sell these little- uh, Grapefruit size. Yeah, that's small. I don't even know. That might even be legal, but- I eat it on the, even be I eat it on the plane. You know what? <laughs> I think that should be your new call sign. It might even be legal. <laughs> but because you can't get good cheese in the United I mean you can. Well, cheese is the base for pizza. I mean, you need, obviously you need right. the dough. You so need the, decent it, dough and, and decent pizza in your I but mean, cheese. The aftertaste you're talking about is the cheese because mozzarella cheese in the United States is the blandest of the mozzarella cheeses. I've, I mean, you can go to a, a real deli, a real Italian deli, and unless somebody's making the cheese in their backyard somewhere, it's not going to have that aftertaste that a real pizza from Italy has. Yeah. No, I can, I mean, I can verify that because when we came back from Italy, pizza was not the same. Now, and you can, you can replicate the sauce because we can grow anything they can grow there. And you can somewhat replicate the bread, depending where you live in the United States. Just like Italy has different waters all over it, United States has different waters. So you can kind of get close with that, but you can't replicate the cheese without the microorganisms. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Italian pizza and American pizza are not the same thing. And I don't think anybody really pretends that they are. In fact, there are some people who claim that pizza was really invented in New York. And yeah, the Italians do it too, but... Well, is that like chow mein is invented in, is in uh, San Francisco was invented in, in fact the lady invented it just recently died. Well, I don't know. The, I don't Francisco. know the story about that, but it sounds like it's pro- yeah. fairly similar. The thing is, you know, the Italians will take whatever food you throw at them, and then they will do it right. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I had Mexican food t- in two times when I was li- when, not living when, when I was traveling through Italy, and the remarkable thing is, it's the best. Um, did I say Mexican food? You did say yeah. Mexican. It was the best Mexican food I've ever had in Italy. Yes, because they care. Really? They do it better than anybody else. Well, you might be right. They do care. And and another thing is, and tell me if I'm wrong, a lot of the places in Europe will grow the herbs right behind the restaurant or at whoever owns its house. And so you're getting real slow grown vegetables, not in a greenhouse, it's sitting in somebody's backyard. And that's probably a part of it too. Yeah, no, well, no, no, that's I'm, one of the distinguishing parts about Lou Malnati's is the tomatoes are just incredible. And they, you can see them growing right on the side of there too. Don't they have herbs on the side growing? Well, I I, I doubt that that's their... I mean, yeah, their main crop. That's yeah. their main, <laughs> they may, yeah. they may do it for atmosphere. I, I always like restaurants that try to grow their own stuff. You know, I always think... That's just taking it to a new level. Well, you know, if we add this kind of soil, we're going to get this kind of a flavor out of the tomatoes. Because the tomatoes, the ones I grow at my house, do you grow tomatoes, Mike? No, no, no. They they are like, I feel like you're squeezing 10 tomato flavors into Mm. one tomato when you grow it yourself in your own soil slow grown without, you know, some plastic over the top of it, trying to protect it from the elements. I mean, am I wrong? I don't know. I haven't experienced that, but you know, you, you're probably much more of a gardener than I am. I, I do like to garden. Everyone here agreed that uh, Chicago style pizza was not pizza. <laughs> and then from there we moved on to good pizza. Okay, All so- artists at some respectable level, I don't mean everybody on the planet, but generally, and you might be the one that isn't there, James. Just keep going. Get it out. Are good at cooking. No. <laughs> Have you heard that before? 
No. I think that's nonsense. Certainly not in my case. (laughs) Okay. So when I was at college, I used to sit. No, I wasn't in college. I I mean, I was in the college. This is like a graduate (laughs) work. This You know, I I took classes just for the heck of it one time. I was completely done with school. Anyways, I'm back in college and I'm with the professor and we're all sitting there, the class, because you know how in art classes you sit in a circle and you have like the model in the front and all that. Anyways, and uh, we're sitting there talking about food and we're all talking about how we cook stuff. And the teacher says, oh yeah, artists make good cooks. And I, I started from that point on observing that to be true. Mike, do you cook? Not. Oh, I'm just a no. liar now. No. <laughs> it's you, not a liar, you're just wrong again. Am I wrong again? <laughs> well, <laughs> now you may be right and I may be an anomaly. But maybe, maybe, well, James, you paint a lot. Yeah, I don't consider myself an artist, but I, I cooking is not an area where I have any any qualifications or aptitude whatsoever. Yeah, you said that. And Mike, you food. don't cook at your house? Not, well, I I'll, will, I'll open a can or. Oh, yeah, I, w- I will say though, I, I'm good at pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to cook. If I wish I always had a little bit more time because when I do cook, I would make the process even longer. So I know this sounds crazy, but every single day, my alarm clock on my phone goes off at 4.30 and it says, start prepping for dinner. Even though we don't eat until like 5.36. Because I want to start getting things at least going. So by the time I'm actually start the process, the pre stuff is all done. You know, something silly like, you know, boiling the pasta or or taking the meat out and letting it sit in some kind of a marinade. Marinade. I was going to say um, something more fancy. Brine, but whatever. Um but you guys don't do that. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think it's an important distinction to make that chefs can be artists with their work, with their work, with their the meals they perf- they they perform. But uh, perform. But uh, you know that doesn't mean all visual artists or film artists or audio artists, you know, musicians are not whatever. Are gonna, it's not cross pollinated. A good sculptor isn't necessarily going to be a great painter. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I had a designer friend that uh, associated cooks with uh, graphic design. Oh, also, okay. And what was the verdict on that? He said, artists and cooks are the two worst spellers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you might be right on he was. I think he was probably dead on about that. Um, but for, okay, so when you guys eat dinner and the plate's sitting in front of you, do you look at the plate and think to yourself, that's a pretty plate, that's going to taste good? Or do you just like eat it? Or you're like, it's all brown, it's all going to taste good, who cares? Do you look at the colors before you eat? I look at everything. Oh, you do? Yeah. Do you, Mike? Um, I'm not talking about when you're sitting here by yourself and you're like, oh, I just want to watch some TV, eat some beans and go to bed. I'm talking about you're sharing a meal with somebody. At a nice restaurant? Yeah. I'll look I'll look at the- But not when you're cooking. Not when I'm cooking. Presentation, presentation is not that important to me. A presentation I mean, to is some so degree, important to To me. some degree, it's important. Well, but I can no, appreciate people, presentation. I can appreciate, but you know, there's a certain point where I think it gets kind of silly. Even if it's just for like your family, you don't think it should be... I said to a certain point. Where right? is the point end? Uh, making, I don't know. It's hard to say, but you, you go to, <laughs> you know, some of these fancy restaurants overdo do, it. A lot of that may have to do with your upbringing. Now, I'm the oldest of nine siblings. I'm no, sorry, did you seven, say did you say nine? Siblings. No, no, you said seven. You said seven? seven? The family was nine. Nine. That's okay, crazy. Got it. Got it. And so there wasn't a whole lot of of uh, time or inclination put to presentation. <laughs> well, sometimes it might have just happened naturally. So for example is if your mom 
threw a vegetable on there and it was not a potato. All right. Threw a piece of meat on there and then put, um, I don't know, something else, a grain or something. You're going to have three colors and now naturally it's going to be, see, the thing is color also in my mind is associated with healthy food. So if you have a lot of brown food or a lot of green food or you're not getting all your vitamins, but if you get a lot of color, you're getting a lot of vitamins, right? So if you got tomatoes, you got vitamin C, you got the lettuce, you got, uh, fiber and other things, you know, you got beef, you got brown or whatever meat you happen to eat. By happenstance, it could look quite attractive. (laughs) Anyways, uh, design. (laughs) Designing the plate. Oh, you used to design plates, right? I have done some design. Yeah, I've done some design work in that, you know, eating utensils and whatnot. Mostly glassware. Some to that. Mostly glassware. What do you mostly work on? I mean, illustration wise, Mike. Oh, illustration, it varies quite a bit. You know, the biggest illustration I've seen of yours is your self-portrait. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Because I don't yeah. think there's a picture on the internet of your actual face. It's only no, drawings. It's only that portrait. I'm not trying to make you sound like no, you have. It's like a- <laughs> I'm just saying is that I'll be online and I'll see, you know, because I see stuff. Well, like- it's that way because I can make certain improvements in the look that you can't do. You can, you can edit your face. <laughs> It's better than Photoshop. <laughs> right. Well, nothing's better than Photoshop. <laughs> well, in Photoshop, people are so savvy about what's, you know, they got an eye. They can start to see what's been Photoshop. Oh, some people do, but I don't, I, think, I don't think most people have an eye for it. But with the drawing, especially yours, because your illustrations almost look, I don't want to say they look like a photograph, but they have some, uh, if you're not looking closely, you might mistake it for a, a Well, it, it yeah, I, the detail and such. Yeah, there's a, is, so much detail. Uh, it's pretty realistic, but... But, you know, the, it's the texture and, and whatnot that, that if you if you really see it, it's the texture that, that makes it a painting. Right. There's a physicality that you can get right. in a painting you can't get now in Now, my, in my illustration really grew out of my graphic design because if I had to, if I had to make a point or a presentation that the photograph just wouldn't work. Did you used to do illustrations for the newspaper? Mm. No, I'm, I'm way off no, base No, my checkered career, I did work for the newspaper. I was a copy boy at the at the Gazette. Um, when did your design work start? Did you uh, go to uh, college for that or take any classes? Well, no, I, I did go to college, um, but it essentially grew out of uh, my work with my dad. He was a publisher and they had a, uh, a daily abstract of legal records and I became, that still goes on today. Yeah. I uh, became the managing editor when I was in college. And, uh, of course, you know, design was part of that because I'd, I'd lay out the paper. Um, but then after I, I uh, quit there, then I just basically freelanced for a while as a, graf- as a designer. And then I worked for a company called, uh, mid-80s, I worked for, for a company called Genrad. Um, it's the old General Radio out of Boston, and they had a branch here in Phoenix. Boston had a branch here in Phoenix. No, no, no. The ba- the main company was in Boston, and the General Radio or Genrad had a branch here in Phoenix. I love that name, Genrad. <laughs> Sounds and like a skateboard company. They also had one in Milpitas, uh, California, and uh, and that was a newspaper. No, no, no. That was a uh, electronics company. Oh, okay. I thought, I I thought was for a, some reason I was thinking it was radio. I do presentations and, and 
oh, brochures and, and whatnot with them. Oh, okay. And then after I left there, I was just freelance, basically freelance. So but did you did you take any classes in it or do, were you born into it and then just sort of followed the, uh, the career path? I didn't take any design classes per se. I took, at ASU, I took uh, printing and, and uh, there was a, a, Rob Roy Kelly was a, was a great professor there who, who taught printing, but uh, they no, don't teach just, printing anymore at ASU. No, probably not. No, because the whole field changed. I mean, well, I think printing's because it's not related so much to newspaper work or print work anymore. It's turned into the it's it's converted into a, a section of the art community. I actually went to an exhibit once, and all it was was well-known printers. Um, in the UK and that's, and it was this fabulous exhibit and it was just, and you can meet the artists and they didn't call themselves artists, but it was obvious they were, um, you know, they, they, they're just print designers and illustrators and whatnot. And then you get to see their works and then sometimes they'd be working on a piece of plastic or sketching or whatever they were doing. And I I just remember thinking in the late, wow, uh, neat. In the late seventies and early eighties, I started a, uh, a typesetting company had uh, 12 people working for me. Um, and we, we were doing all kinds of production work there. Um, and then when I saw the Macintosh, I, I knew that the typesetting business was over with. And so I, I went freelance from that point on. Now this is in 84. By 88 or 89, there were no listings in the phone book for typesetting. Wow. So the whole industry disappeared. Do you remember they used to sell these things and they were like uh, stickers and there were a way that you could kind of do your own typesetting at home with like these uh, stickers. I forget what the company was. And you basically buy all these stickers, you put them online and you can make it look like a very newspapery, very magazine graphic. And then you could, I don't know, whatever you you're want. Not, you're not talking about press type, are you? Actually, I think it was called chart pack. You get a big sheet of letters yes. and you rub them down. Yes. Yeah, that's press type. I used to love that stuff. And, and, oh, yeah. In fact, they still sell it. Yeah, they do. So a few years ago, um, I bought my son a guitar, but it was used. So I sanded the whole thing down and I got those old fashioned scratches, put mm-hmm. a couple designs on it and lacquered over the top of it. And he even asked me, he says, how did, how did you write all that stuff so perfect? I'm like, I didn't write that. <laughs> do you have a picture of that? I'd like to see that. That's at the house. I'll bring it to you. Oh, you can just take a picture of it. No, I'm going to bring it to you. Yeah, bring it to me. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, We don't need no stinking pictures. (laughs) So that's that's interesting that you you moved with the industry. And I've seen some of your web design works, which suggests strongly to me that at some point you moved into web design. Well, okay. I do not call myself a web designer because... What are you, a web illustrator? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, because <laughs> oh, he's a webmaster. <laughs> I don't, I don't write code, or I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. No, I, well, I, well that, that still makes you a designer, though. If you're well, okay, creating okay. the pages, I design for the web, but I keep myself as far away from code as possible. Hmm, okay, because quite frankly, code is boring. <laughs> That's interesting. I think Christopher and I both kind of well, I, no, maybe Christopher doesn't. I get off on code a little bit. I get off on both ends of it, the design and the code. Going back to the typesetting business, in 1980, I pur- purchased a, uh, a machine called Line of Screen Composer. And it was, oh, I'm going to say $40,000, but 
you know, that was a long time ago, so I'm probably not right. But anyway, this machine was the first iteration of being able to design something on the screen. Oh, like like a, you had like a pen like thing. You had well, it, it was yeah, pen. Well, I think they called it this. Uh, what they call stylus. it? Stylus. Stylus. Yes, that's it. Anyway, it was it was more like placing things in on the thing, but but some of it was code, some of it was. And, and the, the bad part about it was, is you'd get this design going and you'd have it all fine on the screen and then you go to publish. Oh, and it doesn't look right. It doesn't oh, look anything like you. So much software used to do that. I used to hate that. Wow. You'd work hours and hours getting it to be exactly the way you want it and then you go to print it and and sometimes, you know, you, you just assume it's going to be right and someone comes up to you and goes, what is this crap? And they're right. showing you this and you're like, uh, that's not what it looked like when I sent it. When so I, you what know. you would end up doing is you'd go back and forth, back yes. and forth, trying. Oh my because God! Cork was like that too. Do you well, that Quark, No. Well, in its early days, it was. Oh yeah, man. That's but, the last time I used it. In the early days. <laughs> but it was much, much better on a Macintosh than it was than this line screen composer was. Uh, I mean, because because you did you didn't have the. Uh, publisher preview aspect of it. What you saw on the screen was basically what it was. And that, that kept improving. And now I'm into InDesign. And, uh, but even today, even today, sometimes you'll do something and you go to print. It doesn't quite look the same. So I always save it as a PDF because I mm. know it's going to be locked right. in to right. what I see. Right. And then when I print it, it's going to be right. But if sometimes like I said, even to this day, you go straight from the software to the printer. By the time it gets to the printer, like, oh, it's a little bit off. Yeah. Well, the most most surprises I get nowadays is the color. Yeah. Because what you see on the screen is not what you're going to get in print. Because the screen is is transmitted color, where print is reflected color. Well, so, and, the, and the gamuts so, are completely different too. Yeah. Which it's is crazy just, because the ink that you use for your printer at least the color, is more valuable per ounce than gold. Oh, sure. Than platinum. <laughs> is that insane? No, that's... I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a printer. I just like, people will buy ink Sorry. forever. And then you say, hey, you know, if you want to invest in your future, you could buy some gold. Oh, gold? <laughs> well, yeah, but the print, the, the, the pigment's giving them something, doing something for them as opposed to gold just sitting there well, looking, and then looking you, pretty. You can't compare... Your, your printer, your $50 or $100 printer <laughs> to something that's actually printed on a press or on a uh, the new digital presses. I mean, the quality is just like night and day. But do you remember when laser was like, the everybody uses laser, and then you, you would do your documents, and then you put it into a manila folder, come back next year, and they're, all the pages are clumped and <laughs> sticking to each other, and then the shadow yeah. of the... the Previous pages upside down and backwards on the. You don't know what I'm talking I, about. James? I never had cheap laser printers. I guess in Arizona where it gets hot in your garage, yeah. <laughs> those laser printers, you can get a good one. They will melt on the page in front of it. And well, the, yeah. So trying to pull them apart, you see the, the the reflection. There's a thermal process, so I'm not surprised that there's an additional thermal properties that might not be stable. And I'm just saying, laser used to. St I used to hate laser, <laughs> especially when you're printing music. Well, like, it was, oh, I'll the, use this again in, in the next first year. Printer, the first printer that I used when I was in college, a color printer, was a used wax. 
wax. So, yeah, so I think that would be worse. Yeah, especially in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, there were printers at the time that uh, produced wax. Had no idea. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have a question that has nothing to do with you at all, Mike, but more <laughs> more about our last guest that we had. I'm just curious. I'm, I think this is, should now be a standard question because you never know. Mike knows Alan, by the way. Okay. Alan. Alan Henry is who we're talking about. Alan told us the other day that he had met Mike Tyson. So I was wondering, you know, Mike, have you met Mike Tyson? <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe that should be the cutoff for our show guests. If they haven't met Mike Tyson. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. However, my son lives in Venice. Two California states, or California? Italy? Okay. <laughs> California. Um, just north of uh, Venice Boulevard. Two, two streets off the beach. By the canals. By the canals. What a lucky guy he is. Interestingly enough, we t let's talk about the canals for a second. Well, let me finish that. Oh, sorry. Um, he was on the boardwalk in, at Venice, and he made eye, eye contact with Arnold. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> they actually <laughs> nodded and acknowledged each other. Venice Beach gets a lot of stars, though. I mean, you, I, You're talking about Governor Schwarzenegger? Yes, I am. <laughs> I mean, Venice Beach attracts... A lot of people that hide or only go out when they want to be seen will go to Venice Beach with glasses and hats on and try to be disguised and sit there and hang out. I've, I've, I mean, I could go through a list of quite let a few me, people uh, I've seen down there. Let me connect you with our trolley systems and uh, Venice Beach. Well, I was that trolley system that I was talking about earlier that was dismantled. The red line. Like, it went to Venice. Yes. So. The one I was particularly talking about was in Hermosa Beach, California. Oh, okay. And then that's kind of where it dead ended. And it went through Manhattan Beach mm -hmm. and down Dockweiler and mm -hmm. made its way around the canal. And then you could swerve back and go through Venice Beach. Do you know who who uh, started the red line? I have no idea who did that. It's the same person that started the Phoenix trolley system. Huh. Moses Hazeltine hmm. Sherman. And getting back to this Venice Beach connection. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, the the Venice canals that you see there today were built by Morris, uh, by Moses Hazeltine Sherman. Uh, now, it, he's now, got a, his name is on one of the streets, I think. Uh, yes, it's uh, one of the canals. Is yeah, 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 Sherman. Now, um, the develop the original developer of uh, of the uh, of the Venice canals was Abbott Kenny. They named a whole street after him. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Anyway, his his canals, I mean, he 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 did the basic concept for the Colony Island of the uh, of the Pacific. Right, right. Which was Venice of America. Venice Beach is probably the only place in California that I wouldn't mind living. It's it's got a grunge to oh, it. It's got it has a great atmosphere. And, and it, it goes through swells like a, a few years ago, it was like the most happening spot. Real estate was out of control. Right now it's on the dive. And then before that, it was, I mean, in the eight, so I've seen Venice Beach for the years. And in the eighties, it was like drum circles and um, you could see art, real artists on the sidewalk, musicians. It was just filled. And then crazy clown people. And, and then in the nineties, it went into, uh, carnival like <laughs> environment. Well, um, going back to uh, to the origination oh. of of Venice. Now it it was very popular, very very popular, and then it went downhill uh, during the twenties, and it became 
actually uh, the slum of the Pacific uh, in the uh, 50s. Well, it looked like the slums in the 80s. And if you go there right now, it looks like the slums right now. I mean, it's well, in, packed with Well, in the 80s homeless. is when it, it made a turnaround. The city decided, you know, no more drug scene there and, and that sort of thing. So they, from my experience, the eighties, it was packed with drugs. Yeah. Yeah. The center yeah. is kind of a bad time across America. I mean, that's Times, true. It's Times cocaine Square, land. Times Square was pretty much a rat hole. Yeah. So and anyway, he, it has, it has turned around completely. Well, I don't know when last time you've been there. Your son lives I was, there. Uh, just, let's see, last winter. Hmm. Why? Well, last summer. I was there last summer and it was bad, really bad. I mean, they were that's, you know, they had all the riots going on, busted windows. Oh, no, um, this was before the... Tent city is starting to develop in Venice oh, yeah. Beach now. It's yeah. It used to be a couple random tents here and there. Now it's like two or three layers of tents. It's crazy bad. Yeah, you can put a tent on the sidewalk, but no, you can't put a uh, fence up. I don't know if you saw that story. It was a few weeks, uh, maybe a couple months ago. No, some, some so let me jump bus- back to... Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> so... What happened with the uh, with the uh, original Venice, the, the Coney Island Venice? The car came along, the canals were tr- were paved over, and so so that that part of Venice is uh, the be- the canals is gone. Well, I mean, there's some sections that's still beautiful there. Well, like I say, the canals that are there today were developed by Moses Sherman. They were on the south side of Venice uh, Boulevard. Uh, the original uh, Venice Beach was on the north side of Venice Boulevard. Oh, I don't think I knew that. And so if you drive down the streets there, you're going to find huge, wide streets. Yeah, I always wondered why they were there. Because they were paved over. Well, you know, that's <sighs> those, those people that lived in, the, in that area could afford to have the, the canals uh, covered up and the uh, pavement put down. Yeah, because people, I mean, let's just face it. It's a driving town for the very reason they got rid of the trolleys and to, to go from a right. car to a boat to your house, just too right. much for somebody. So anyway, the area south of Venice Boulevard, that was the poor section and they couldn't afford to cover up the canals. Well, so, not anymore. Well, yeah. <laughs> now it's totally the there. opposite. That's the only nice area. I mean, there isn't a house less than $2 million in that whole canal section. Believe me, I looked. I've looked many times trying to find a nicely priced house. And the problem is now they're getting to the point, which is pretty much all of Los Angeles. If you have a little cool, like your house, James, is really historic and beautiful. You get any to cool historic, they just tear it down and build like these metal and glass. And um, I mean, they're, they're fine construction. They're not ugly new construction, but at the same point, I'm like the, the charm of Venice is just turning into, this is obviously a, uh, you know, the, uh, the top one, 2% community of the well, United States. Yes now. and no, yes and no, because you still have the, the great little, Boutique shops and, and yeah, I guess, but I'm talking about that canal rent, area. And little you, cafes and such. Not well, such even uh, what's it, Abbott? Uh, Abbott Kenny was the guy yeah. that developed. It, so know. Abbott Kenny, that whole area, and I was talking about with my wife a few years ago. I go, we need to buy this. This area is dirt cheap. It's just warehouses. Someday it's going to be valuable. Anyways, it is now. It's it just is now. it's packed with, like you said, boutiques, but really, really well, high, and the high thing end is boutiques. You got great murals all over the place. You got high design uh, uh, companies in there. Tech companies are moving in. 
So it's it's re- this really eclectic um, mix of Bohemia and and high tech. And well, it's, just it's, to make a comparison with Phoenix, I honestly think we're only about five years away from the whole Ro- Roosevelt area being like Venice. We talked. We were James and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago about all the murals here, yeah. but the boutiques here are are amazing now. They yeah. used to be just little rundown. They'd be here one year, gone the next year. But the boutiques, the coffee shops, uh, the small galleries—they're—they're they're staying, and well, they're the culture and, of downtown is in, is becoming incredible. Is what it's becoming incredible? Yeah, it's I mean, a great it's, place. I mean, I love it. You're so lucky to be close to now, me, James. We're on Grand Avenue, the historic section of Grand Avenue, right? And we're hoping that that move that that culture moves that direction, and and you're going to see. Um, a lot of that that uh, repurposing of you really think Grand Avenue, all those warehouses, are going to be something someday? Yeah, that's where it's moving. Yeah. The problem is, and I'm going to say this because I saw this in Texas actually, in I think it was Fort Worth, Deep Ellum. If the train tracks are too close and too often and too loud, it just never happens. Well, the train, the the, the loud trains. I mean, the the freight trains and such. Are, They're up and down. I mean, how can you have a oh. how can you have a cute little coffee shop if you got trains hauling? Uh, They're cars? not anywhere close. They're not. They're not close to each other. Yeah, the the, the important thing to understand is that you know Roosevelt has been moving up into. Um, oh, I'm talking about Grand area though. That's what I'm saying. It's been moving in, into Grand. Well, the you Grand, got what I'm talking about is the historic part of Grand, south of or south and east of um, 19th Avenue. Yeah, you're probably right. And 19th Avenue is where the trains start. You know, and let's just face it, it doesn't matter where you live in Phoenix. There's, there's, now, I heard last year, it was about 200 people a day are moving into Phoenix. And I could be wrong about this, but now it's close to almost 400 people a day are moving into Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Before the COVID so thing, prob- I think it got oh to five. Insane. Insane. <laughs> I just like... The, and most of them are from California. They're just like, we're out of here. This place is dirty. It smells, literally smells. <laughs> and not like urine. Now it's starting to smell like the other end. <laughs> and um, the taxes are insane. The pollution has always been there. The traffic is insane. And and then, uh, <laughs> and generally speaking, uh, people aren't as friendly as they used to be in California. And you can come to a place like in Texas or in Phoenix where people are generally nice. Well, also they can get their marijuana here now. (laughs) You know what? You might have a point to that. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you like Texas, Texas now? All I can think about is once upon a time you used to get, if you got busted with, I think it was an ounce of marijuana, it was 10 years in Texas. I was talking about the cold snap that they've had and their failure of their power grid. Oh my god. That's not a great time to be living in Texas. Yeah, I have two yeah. kids in Austin right now. They're suffering? Um, yeah. 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 That's what, as a matter of fact, my son had to move in with some friends because they were in a section of uh, the town where the uh, you know, the rolling uh, 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 blackouts um, they didn't roll. They just stayed black. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever remember there being a problem like that in Phoenix. Now my daughter has is in a section where apparently there's something around her that is uh, it's a I guess a, a, a um, what they call essential service maybe well, or a hospital or something like that it'd be a hospital it's some I mean it's essential service you're right and so 
there's their power went out for about eight hours, but then it's never gone on. It came back on. It's never gone. Well, there, there are pockets even here. I mean, our power goes out a little bit more frequently than our neighbors. It's kind of Your a power goes out? Yeah, there's a little cell here that is just a little bit, seems like it's a little bit more susceptible to power outages. I I honestly have had my power, I'm, I'm not kidding, but not, probably three times in 16 years, and we're talking less than a half hour. Yeah, I think the longest one was about a day. So it was, A whole day? Yeah, it was about a day. That's insane. Well, it's not yeah, that we, bad. We've can, had issues. You have? Particularly during the monsoon. What are your cross streets? Glendale and, and uh, 7th Street. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's but it's not too bad. But anyway, I, I think I think we probably should wrap up. But I do have one very important question for Mike. This will put you on the right side or the wrong side. So okay. be very careful about how you answer this. Okay. <laughs> Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Milk chocolate. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have to leave now. <laughs> Plus my coffee's gone anyways. Oh, not again. Every time I give you coffee and every time you run right through it. Why do I even bother? Well, at least it doesn't run through me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that at home. Thanks. James, thanks for having us again. Thanks for coming over. And it's Mike, nice to you see you, Mike. Yeah, well, this has been has been my pleasure. This has been uh, kind of an interesting little, uh, <laughs> little uh, conversation. It's good. Cool, cool. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Thanks. And Heatstroke is brought to you by Markers in Motion. If you'd like to contact Heatstroke, go to heatstrokepodcast.com. Don't you see me? Take a boo. Don't you feel me? It's morning dew. All I want yes. is a cup. Yes. A very large cup. Yes. In my hand. Yes. A large cup. Hot. Warm. Oh. Cup. It's not tea. And it must be dark, dark brown. Oh, it's very from big up brown. Make it hot, make it hot, make it very, very hot. Coffee. Hi, this is Betsy. I want to tell you about the Children's Museum of Phoenix. If you're in Phoenix, planning to come to Phoenix, or just looking for something fun to do, check us out at the Children's Museum of Phoenix where you can come paint and climb and use your imagination. We're 100% fun and currently 100% outside. To find out more, visit us at childrensmuseumofphoenix.org. Hope to see you there. Have fun. Be playful. Oh. All right, we're recording over here. Recording over here. Recording over here. Great. So before we start, um, I just wanted to quickly tell you something that you and I were talking about the other day off mic, and I thought maybe the, the viewers might be, or the listeners might be interested, and here it is. You ready? James was telling me, and I already knew this, that he's not a touchy-feely guy. Like, he won't go up to somebody and just, like, hug them, right? And I, especially when I know somebody for a long time and I haven't seen him in a few weeks or a couple months or maybe even a year, the first thing I think to do is just give them a big hug. And I had said to James one time, um, I had was... Had, hadn't seen this friend of mine in probably 10 years and we met at a Johnny Rockets 
and he's the exact same height as I am. We meet eye to eye. Oh God. And I went to give him a hug. <laughs> Why are you telling this story? And our ding dongs touched. <laughs> I could swear, I could swear just the other day you were whi- you were complaining about, you were worried about our show being a little bit too racy for some of the guests you want to get on, and now you start off with ding dongs. <laughs> All right, private parts. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's still. Oh. So the question I wonder, no. and this is, I'd like. So we get emailed from people from time to time. So what I'm wondering is, when women give each other hugs, and they always do, that more than men do, obviously, do they feel awkward when they're, I don't know, their chests touch? Their boobs. Yeah, you said it. I didn't want to say it, but you said it. Yeah, I have to always say the things for you, but I, I, <laughs> I'm afraid to say certain certain words. When you hug a woman, I don't know. Just, 